I recently had an experience that really has marked me, and I want to share this with you. As you may know, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, I grew up Roman Catholic, and I practiced Roman Catholicism until my early 20s. And along the way, I learned a great deal about the Catholic Church, needless to say, having gone to Most Holy Redeemer, then Gloucester Catholic High School, I had a lot of training, a lot of teaching, spent a lot of time with priests and nuns, and and so I had a theology communicated to me. Now, the experience that I had recently that impacted me is this. I actually went to a funeral for a devout Catholic woman a very nice woman, very committed to her faith, a woman with a large family, and she had died. And so I was there in support of, uh, of the family at large. And, and while there, just very nice people, uh, several came up to, to me and to family members that were with me, my family that were with me, and they looked and said some kind words to, to one of my family members who was especially a friend of, of this woman who had died. And they would say, we know where she is. And they would smile. And of course, you smile back and nod your head. We know where she is. Now, I was there and I'm thinking, wait a minute. She is, if I understand Roman Catholic beliefs, she's in purgatory right now. A wonderful woman, yes, but she's in purgatory. Now, purgatory was very much imprinted upon my thinking when I was very young because I can remember to this day when I was a young boy at Most Holy Redeemer, I was told that if I were to say, as I bowed my head at the name of Jesus, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, uh, when I would say that, I would get out of purgatory some like 365 days now, when this woman died, where did she go, according to Roman Catholic belief? Well, in Roman Catholic belief, she had to go to purgatory. I'm reading right now from a website, catholic.com. You can go there, and, and you can ask questions. And it says this, The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines purgatory as, quote, purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven, end quote. This is experienced by those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still are imperfectly purified. So in other words, these are people that they see dying in God's grace and friendship, but we all need to be purified, it says. It notes that this final purification of the elect is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. So in other words, we're not talking about hell, but we are talking about purification, now, it then says that the purification is necessary because, as Scripture teaches, and again, this is the Catholic website, as Scripture teaches, nothing unclean will enter the presence of God in heaven, Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, and while we may die with our mortal sins forgiven, there can still be many impurities in us, specifically venial sins and the temporal punishment due to sins already forgiven. Now, there's an awful lot there, and so what we're talking about, though, is a place of suffering in order to be purified. That's purgatory. Now, I, from what I gather, any Catholic that dies, no matter how devout and committed they are, and as this says, a friend of, of God, a person that's experienced God's grace, you're going to purgatory. And so when these dear family members are coming up saying, we know where she is, I'm thinking, it's horrible to think she's 
being purified by experiencing something that's like a temporary hell. And that's, that's the reality of the teaching. So let me go on, and I just want to put this in front of you because I think this is important. And, and if you happen to be Roman Catholic, I, I hope you'll explore this. Maybe you already know this, and you think, okay, fine. When I die, you still have something to pay for. You have to be purified, even of uh, the remnant of your venial sins. But it goes on, and, and one of the interesting things about this article, I would call it, this analysis, is that most of it is dedicated to trying to refute what evangelicals, is, or they, as they call them, fundamentalists believe. They try to, to say that what Bible-believing Christians believe is, is wrong, and so they give examples of where they believe this is taught. Now, this whole exchange really impacted me, I think in large part because I had a distant memory. And the distant memory was Mrs. Duncan, who was a very sweet lady who taught at Most Holy Redeemer. And every week on a given day, I'm not sure which day of the week it was, she literally gave a, an offering in order to have a mass said for her husband who had died. I appreciated this woman, and, and oftentimes I went to that Mass, and it was like early in the morning before school. Now, it was very clear even back then that Mrs. Duncan had actually given a certain amount of money or essentially purchased the Mass. And in response to that reality, here's something that's written again in this article at a Catholic website. It says, when a Catholic requests memorial Mass for the dead, that is, a Mass said for the benefit of someone in purgatory— so in other words, we have a loved one has died. Mrs. Duncan's husband died. She wanted him to get out of purgatory so he could enjoy fully the joys of heaven. It goes on, it says, It is customary to give the parish priest a stipend on the principles that the laborers were there this hire and those who preside at the altar share the altar's offerings. And then it goes on and says it's simply $5, and this is not some major fundraiser is essentially what this article continues to say. But when it comes back to the recent experience that I had, I'm there sitting there knowing these this devout Catholic family. And again, very nice people, wonderful people. But when their, their loved one died, they're there facing that reality. When they would talk about where is she now, they didn't say, well, she's being purified in, in purgatory. They don't say that. It's we know where she is and you smile. She's in heaven, right? Well, that's not what Roman Catholicism believes, that no matter how devout and godly you are, that you're going to have to go through a period of purification. Now, is that biblical? Now, the first thing this article does is points out that the word purgatory is not found in the scriptures and, and then goes on and points out that neither is the word trinity, neither is the word incarnation. And so that's, that's true, and neither is the word rapture actually found in the Word of God. We don't need to turn, but we absolutely need some clear teaching on this. And one of the verses that is referenced is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 19. Now let's look at it in context. I'm going to begin with verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. By the way, that's an important passage when you consider that the Mass is looked at as Christ really being re-crucified each time the Mass is celebrated. But it says, Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then it says, verse 19, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now you stop and say, wait a minute, now this is just after the cross, they're already in this prison. 
But there's a parallel they're drawing apparently to this prison in purgatory and Jesus going there. It could be literally the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's doing this. But then it says, it gives us the context, who, who he is, who he visited with, who he proclaimed to. And it says in the next verse, verse 20, it can't be ignored because they formally, in other words, these spirits in prison, did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, he's going all the way back to the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. In other words, Noah's family. And so this is a unique uh, situation that Jesus Christ is proclaiming to those that rejected the warnings of Noah. Now I want to briefly look at another passage that is referenced in this article on purgatory, but let me quickly say that I hope in your mind there are several passages where you stop and you think, wait a minute, I see the thief on the cross, and he wasn't going to go to a place where he was going to be purified. It says, this day you'll be with me in paradise or your mind goes to there is no condemnation for those of us that are in christ or you hear the apostle paul saying for me to live as christ and to die is gain it's not to die is to go be purified and to to suffer and pay for leftover remnants of sins that somehow are not forgiven by the cross of christ and now the other passage is this first corinthians chapter three now this verse verse 15 is in the context of there is one day the judgment seat of Christ. We will all who all who have put their faith in Christ, their sins are forgiven. This is not, is not a question of our sins; it's a question of our work. In other words, how we have lived our lives for Him. Have we accomplished the mission He's given us to do? And there are a couple of different passages that refer to this. In this particular passage, it says this, verse ten: According to the grace of God given to me, Paul speaking, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, everything needs to be built on him. Then he says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, it will be revealed. It's going to be revealed at what is called the Bema Seat of Christ. And it says, for the day we'll disclose it. So true believers will give an account for our lives. Now it goes on and it says, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now notice, this is about your work, your, your life's work, how you've lived for the Lord. And you notice that there are certain things that are referenced here. You have gold, silver, precious stones. Then you have wood, hay, and straw. There's a contrast there. And so what's going to happen is Jesus is going to evaluate our life's work and a lot of what we've done with the wrong motivation, maybe for our own egos, our own position, is going to be like wood, hay, and straw. And it's, it's going to literally go up in flames. We're going to be standing there before him with empty hands because it burns up by his analysis, his judgment. But it has nothing to do with sins that have not allowed us to be purified, left over so that we had to be purified in order to go into the Lord's presence. In verse 14, it says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, in other words, the analysis, the flames, he will receive a reward. So whatever you have left in your hands, which is only going to be the gold, silver, and precious stones. And then it says, if anyone's work is burned up, in other words, all of your works, your life's work is burned up, 
you will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. In other words, you're still going to be in the presence of the Lord. You're still forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. But it says, but only through fire. But what is the fire? The fire is the analysis of our life's work. This is vitally important. And by the way, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, this is something we all need to be living in light of. Now, there's a lot more I could say, but let me quickly go to one of the last statements made in this particular article from uh, this Catholic website. It says, Catholic theology takes seriously the notion that nothing unclean shall enter heaven. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely couldn't agree more. From this, it is inferred that it less than a cleansed soul isn't fit for heaven. It needs to be cleansed or purged of its remaining imperfections. That takes place, my friends, the moment you trust totally in the finished work of the cross. The moment we trust in Christ, our sins are placed on his cross and his righteousness, his perfection is imputed to us. It's given to us so that the Father sees us as pure. And we can enter heaven the moment that we die because we have been totally cleansed, purified by the death of our Savior. 